Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, William Liu. Uh, I'm joined on this week's episode by, I mean, you're probably like the all-time favorite. If we did like an all-time draft of uh, ROE guests, you know, with the number one overall pick, I'm taking Vivek Jacob, man. How you doing? Oh, snap. That's big. That's big. <laughs> Yo, Alex, I hope you're listening slash watching to this right now. <laughs> Alex is on tilt. You heard that? He's on tilt the rest of the year, man. <laughs> yeah. But he gets, the, he gets the running back love, though, right? Yeah, that's, the- that's separate. That's separate. He, he, he can get the running back love. Um, you know, you can take you can take your uh, listener calls with Josh and Katie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, we show everyone some love that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yo, real talk, man. I mean, you know, Alex knows. Then a couple times you have uh, fallen through or been unavailable as a guest, and I've uh, gone to Alex, so he knows the he knows the <laughs> hierarchy, man. <laughs> you're the number one. You're the number one option. All right. Um, oh, so the theme of this week's episode uh, is. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me from last year's playoff run, the title team, was that, you know, the Raptors didn't have um, a single lottery pick on the roster. I think Kawhi was picked 15th, so that's technically not a lottery pick. Um, and, you know, it's the case of just, like, excellent both drafting uh, from the Raptors' perspective in terms of uh, the guys that they drafted and developed, like Pascal, like uh, you know, Fred didn't go drafted, but obviously they brought him in like a rookie and, and developed and everything like that. Norm, uh, coupled with the shrewd acquisition of other players, who, to be honest, if you looked at the team last year that won the title, they kind of had a collective sort of chip on their shoulders. A lot of them had been counted out, and when you look at sort of where they went in the draft, again, not a single lottery pick on the roster that won the NBA championship. So I wanted to go back this week to look. Uh, at the players on this year's Raptors, the 2019-20 Raptors, and look at where each player would go in their respective uh, redraft for their draft class. So we can start right here. Uh, We're going to start with the earliest draft class and move to the, uh, obviously, the newest one being Terrence Davis. Um, But back in 2006, Kyle Lowry goes 24th overall to the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, First off, I'm just gonna put it on the table, man. I'm 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 putting Kyle Lowry first overall in a 2006 NBA draft uh, redraft. It's a, maybe a controversial decision because Lamarcus Aldridge leads this draft class in things like win shares, uh, in things like points, rebounds, stuff like that. But to me, the difference for me is Kyle Lowry has a championship. Lamarcus does not. And as much as I respect Lamarcus Aldridge's career, um, I think Kyle Lowry has affected more winning. So. Um, what, 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 where are you taking Kyle Lowry in a 2006 NBA draft redraft? Yeah, I I think the most interesting debate here is the Aldridge-Lowry one. And mm. I think I find it interesting thinking back to that series between the Spurs and the Warriors where Kawhi gets hurt. Yeah. And you, you think that if 
for me, I'm one of those guys that I, I truly believe that that Spurs team was designed to beat those Warriors. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were proving it in that game one. Um, I don't think that was just some fluke um, that Kawhi went off in the first half. Uh, and they just knew how to play them. So, Wait, hold on. I think, Are you saying the Warriors were lucky, quote-unquote, to win the 2017 <laughs> NBA championship? <laughs> Let's just put that on the record, all right? Because people have been saying shit about the Raptors all the time. Um, and so, all of a sudden... Say the, say the Spurs go on to win that title, now LaMarcus Aldridge is the second best player on a championship team, and his narrative completely changes, right? And so I think it's incredible how much you know playoffs uh, can change legacies. So at the, at the end of the day, we have to go with what happened. And so the facts are that Kyle Lowry is an NBA champion, and LaMarcus Aldridge is not. So if you're ranking the best, I think at this point you would probably say... Lowry is the one that you would go with. Um, I took a little bit of a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back and my view in terms of redrafting was sort of looking at what we know now, but also saying, hey, this is the Raptors of, uh, you know, heading. this is the Raptors roster heading into that 2006 draft where they have, you know, uh, Chris Bosh, they have a point guard, they're set there. So I actually think they would take, you know, considering all of that, they would take LaMarcus Aldridge instead of Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, first off, what a year for the Raptors to have the number one pick. As much as I love Kyle Lowry, as much as I respect LaMarcus Aldridge, none of these guys are number one picks, all right? In yeah. an average year, they are well, well below number one pick. Um, yeah, it was a weak draft for sure. And so the Raptors getting number one overall, um, that hurt uh, just, just the timing of it. But I hear you. I, to be honest, like at the time, I was kind of down for LaMarcus Aldridge as a number one pick. Um, obviously, it's easier to, in, in hindsight, to say, "Look, I didn't want Bargnani number one," um, but I thought it made sense. I think people were at the time were thinking, "Well, you know, you need to pair uh, Lamarcus and Chris Bosh kind of play the same position, and they kind of do." But like, I don't know, man. Maybe take the best player available. Lamarcus Aldridge, you know, he's a walking twenty ten. He's really, really good. I agree with you. To be honest, if the Raptors drafted um, Kyle Lowry of two thousand and six, who was coming off basically half a year at Villanova. Uh, had some injury problems. To be honest, you know, probably wouldn't have been that thrilled coming off the bench for Jose Calderon. Although, to be honest, he came off the bench for Jose Calderon in, like six years after this draft anyway. So, um, you know, obviously Larry at the time was really immature and he had to take him a long time to get to where he is now. But um, I think in retrospect too, though, I, I just think in terms of like who has affected the most winning, which is usually my criteria for all this stuff. Like I really do think Kyle... Kyle gets it, and LaMarcus is really close, because I don't want to, like, put LaMarcus's case down whatsoever. Like, he's been to the playoffs uh, nine times, you know, in eight of those nine playoff runs, he's averaged over 19 points per game. Um, he has way more win shares. Like, I thought it would be close, but because Lowry's career obviously got off to a slow start, because he wasn't playing much in Memphis, he wasn't even playing that much in Houston, then he had the, you know, uh, injury troubles and stuff like that, um... You know, LaMarcus Aldridge actually has a 100 of an 11 to 93 uh, lead in win shares over Lowry. And he has over 6,000 more points than Lowry, which, again, these things are just hard to deny because LaMarcus came into the league, was pretty much a 2010 guy, and continues to be that way now in his 14th season, whereas Kyle, again, got off to a slow start. But here's the thing. Uh, this is a Raptors podcast. And also, B, Kyle Lowry has a championship. This is, it's it, it's hard to overcome this, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, on the on the Raptors podcast, you got to go with Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think 
the, I think the only way you maybe go with Aldridge is when you look at a roster and you say, okay, you know, you got TJ Ford, you got Jose Calderon, what are you drafting Kyle Lowry for, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, no, that's fair. That's completely fair. I think the, the needs at the time would have, and honestly, it worked out better this way. It worked out way better that the Raptors ended up trading, um, you know, Gary Forbes and a first round pick to get Lowry. And for Lowry to have matured at that time to come to Toronto and then finally fully mature into what he is now, which is a champion and a leader. Um, I, I also, I just wanted to like, you know, with the Lamarcus thing, even though Lamarcus, I think, has been consistently, uh, just more consistent in general, I also don't think that Lamarcus has had the kind of peaks that Lowry has had. And what I mean by that is, if you look in the first four years of Lamarcus's career, obviously he was drafted to Portland. Um, him and Brandon Roy came in the same draft class, which, you know, congratulations, Portland. That's a great draft. Um, but for the first four years, while Brandon uh, Brandon Roy was still healthy, clearly he was better than LaMarcus. Like, he was a number one guy. I love Brandon Roy. And it's such a shame that his career ended so quickly. Um, but the first four years, you know, Brandon Roy's the better player. Uh, and then later in that time, from 2014 onwards, probably Damian Lillard's rookie season, or sorry, uh, sophomore season, Damian Lillard, I thought, was the best player for the Blazers. Uh, and then, of course, you know, LaMarcus flips teams. He goes to the Spurs. And at that point, Kawhi is the better player. And even now, with Kawhi gone, I think, honestly, with the way the two, uh, you know, players played the last two seasons, there's a case to be made that DeMar has been better than LaMarcus the last two times. So basically, we're looking at a three year window for LaMarcus Aldridge, where he's been the number one guy. And in those three years, he made the playoffs the first time in 2011. They were out in the first round. And then they missed the playoffs the other two. So you know what I mean? So. Even though Kyle Lowry, I don't think he's had that much of a prolonged run as a clear-cut number one guy. But I don't know, man. Lowry's, I think, had a higher peaks. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think that can go both ways. I think when you look at when when you look at both players, you don't look at either guy and say, "Hey, this is a number one guy for a franchise," right? Mm-hmm, They're both, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at best, the second best player on a championship team. Yep. And Lowry had that opportunity last year, and he proved that he can be that good. Um, Aldridge hasn't had that chance um, in terms of playing on a team at that level Uh, so yeah I think again so much of it is just dictated by circumstance and what happens with your career I mean you look at the way people uh, Draymond Green talks about Charles Barkley now right yeah (laughs) like there's no question that Charles Barkley is the better player uh huh yeah no it's not it's not even close man and I love Draymond I really do but come on (laughs) (laughs) come on man we're talking about an MVP here, man. Once yeah. you win MVP, I, I don't want to hear more slander for that guy. Like it's, well, I mean, unless it's Derek Rose or Russell Westbrook. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I, I I don't think you can make a mistake choosing mm-hmm. either one. I think it's just a question of who are the pieces you're putting around those guys thereafter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for us, I, being being in Toronto, uh, watching the Raptors, it's got to be Kyle. Yeah, and look, listen, when it's legitimately close, I think it's perfectly fair to give it to the guy with the title. You know what I mean? So, uh, before we move on from the 2006 NBA draft, um, I wanted to look at some other nice players from this draft. So, Brandon Roy, uh, obviously, you know, his career basically was like a four or five year run, but um, had some incredible moments. I really enjoyed him. Uh, definitely when he came into the league was already one of the best shooting guards in the league and uh, there were some pretty good shooting guards back then like it was probably like obviously Kobe Wade and then probably Brandon Roy you know what I mean so that's pretty impressive to be the third best at his position Rudy Gay obviously he's not one uh, a potential like number one pick but like you know still had a pretty successful career 
Um, JJ Redick, you know, he's had a very long uh, career. He's, you know, one of the best three-point shooters of all time. Paul Millsap, really underrated in this case. I feel like, honestly, Millsap has a real case to be number three in this draft, which is oh, wi- which is wild because he was a second-round pick. Yeah. And he flipped teams many times. Uh, Rajon Rondo, another guy who has a chance to be, like, the third guy, although his peak was oddly short. Like, in the last six years, he's been on six different teams. And I think every fan base outside of Boston hates him. If If you could... Take the the first half of Rondo's career mm-hmm. and the second half of Kyle's career. Yeah, that would be one ridiculous career. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, the second half of Rondo's career has been, like, like I said, I, I think like the the Kings. I first off, he was randomly on the Kings. I, I think Kings fans probably dislike him. I, I, Mavericks fans definitely dislike him because he quit on the team. Yeah. <laughs> um, his only shining moment. Like, Lakers fans hate him right now. So. Is is that Pelican series? Yeah, where, yeah, yeah, that's true. Against the Blazers, that's where true. you know, um, I mean, it looked like maybe you know the Bulls could have been onto something when they went up two zero against the Celtics. Yeah, that's true. He got hurt. Um, so you know, we would have seen the if 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 there is a postseason later this year, you know, maybe they'll we'll see if there's a little bit of playoff rondo left for the Lakers cuz they'll need all the help they can get. LeBron's going to need all the help he can get, but uh yeah, you look at the second half of Rondo's career pretty much after I think his first four or five seasons cuz when he was with the big 3, he was mm-hmm. elite. He was, yeah, defensively, yeah. he was phenomenal uh in terms of his playmaking. Uh, he he was really special at that position, and so mm-hmm. um, I think everything since then it, it, it's really kind of shocking to see that someone can sort of tail off that badly. Yeah, but I mean, he was also in the perfect situation too. Like they never really needed Rondo to score, so because you yeah. have KG, you have Paul Pierce, you have Ray Allen, Rondo could just whatever he gives you was kind of like gravy at that point. He could set everyone up, which is what he wanted to do anyway, and then defend. Which at the time when he was younger, he was a really good defender. So. Yeah. Um, guys like Peter Tucker were in this draft. Tabo Safalosha, Randy Foy. Um, to be honest, so the draft is What's obviously wild? PJ Tucker is a top ten pick in this draft. Definitely, definitely. I, I think PJ is just outside of those other guys. You know, like Lowry, Lamarcus, Brandon Roy, Rudy Gay, uh, JJ Redick, Paul Millsap, Rajon Rondo, PJ Tucker. Like that. That's a class onto itself. Like that's clearly the yeah. top eight. And then really, like I was looking back at this. Like first off, the Raptors picked Andre Bynum first overall. Barnani ends up accumulating a lot of numbers, but never really affects winning ever outside of maybe of his rookie season. And, you know, it's a real debate for me whether I want to take Andrea or like a guy like Thabo Savalosha or Randy Foy. Because if, if if you prefer Thabo or Randy Foy, then Andrea is outside of the top 10, man. Yeah. I mean, I think he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of put him more in the category where you're debating like Shannon Brown. And oh, yeah. um that's where i kind of had him okay Uh, but yeah i think with barniani i think the thing that stood out right off the bat was just like that commitment level and that intensity that you know that dedication to winning that to being the best player he could possibly be that was never really there you know you could tell you just got the sense that this was a guy that you know turned out to be good at basketball and it's like oh this can make me money you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah he's basically the opposite of pascal siakam um yeah yeah so well there, there you go i mean look listen it's, and it's, it's, he, he, he wore the number seven uh, yeah well he actually kept kyle lowry from wearing number seven so. yeah. 
<laughs> that's the wild part because they overlap briefly. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not even. I mean, look, the f- top five in the pick, the top five in the draft was not that great. Okay, Barnani was at least better than Adam Morrison. Was at least better than Tyrus Thomas. Was at least better than Sheldon Williams. So. Uh, yeah, the top five. Obviously, LaMarcus went number two. That one's a great pick, but everything else was just wrong in this draft. Uh, overall, kind of a weak draft. Okay, moving on to the next one. The 2007 NBA draft. Marcus Gasol goes 48th um, to the Los Angeles Lakers, and then he, before he plays for the Lakers, he's traded for his brother um, and, and starts his career in Memphis. Um, you know, the top five in this NBA draft, Greg Oden won one. Kevin Durant won two, Al Horford three, Mike Conley four, Jeff Green five, and then uh, I had to add in that uh, the chairman Yijian Leon uh, came uh, number six to the Milwaukee Bucks. Great, great pick, guys. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, yeah, Marcus Saul. Look again, might be a little biased on my part, but I'm thinking Gasol number two. Obviously, Kevin Durant goes number one in this draft. It's not even close. But to me. There's a real case for Mark to be number two, and I don't think he's any lower than at least three, because the guys I'm looking at are Mike Conley, Joakim Noah, and Al Horford as contenders for who's the second best player in this NBA draft, in the 2007 draft. And for me, the totality of his career, I I, I take Gasol over all three of those guys. Horford is probably the closest, but, you know, Gasol, is a, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, no, I I don't think there's any bias with this. I do think he is the second best player in that draft class. I think he's better than Horford. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his impact defensively, offensively. I know Horford does a lot of great things, but um, I would take us all over Horford. Um, I think his IQ is just even at a, a, a at another higher level. And, I agree. Um, I think even as a teammate, as a veteran, you know, I think Horford kind of struggled. Uh, with the dynamic in Boston. Um, and so, uh, and now we see him, you know, kind of struggling in Philly too. So uh, I feel like Marcus Gasol is better at managing that. You look at, you know, the fact that he could come in within 20 plus games, you know, almost 30 games of the regular season, become a key cog of the Raptors and really be uh, a pivotal player in the playoff run, the way he defended Vucevic, the way he defended Joel Embiid, and you—you've made this point uh, a bunch of times uh, last year during the the championship run. The Warriors, throughout their runs to the finals, they played centers off the court. Yep, and they couldn't do that with Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think for sure Marcus Gasol goes second here, uh, and yeah, I think Orford ends up going to Atlanta anyway at three. Uh, and Conley ends up going to Memphis too. Yeah, well, I mean that, that's that's the interesting part about this is just like this draft. Obviously, it's not necessarily talked about that much, but there's some really solid players in this draft. Um, definitely, really enjoyed some of these guys. Like um, even like a, a Joakim Noah, who I think is probably number five in this draft. Um, still, a really good player. Like one defensive player of the year, two time All Star, made the All NBA first team. Uh, to be honest, all time like uh, pest pesty kind of player like that that gif of him clapping in chris bosh's face while lebron's yelling at him is just or no while he's yelling at mario chalmers is just elite um (laughs) but yeah i mean look this is it's you know the top end of this draft was pretty good like if you had one of the top picks um you did pretty well um yeah you know gasol for me like you know if you look at his career all nba first team 2015 all nba second team 2013 uh three-time all-star he won a championship 
He's third in the draft class in win shares, 80.2, behind uh, Horford, who's at 91, oddly. Um, and he won Defensive Player of the Year in the 2012-2013 season. And to be honest, if you're just looking at, like, legacy and stuff like that, like, he was probably the second, at worst, the second best player on those Grizzlies teams, the Grit and Grind Grizzlies. Um, there's a case, because it was such a team effort for that team, like, there's a case to be made for Zebo. There's a case to be made for Conley. Uh, and there's a case we made for Gasol. Obviously, Tony Allen's the fifth, the fourth guy there, but he's not on the level of those other three guys. Um, right. But I think overall, if you just look at their skill sets, like probably I would take Gasol as the best guy. Like he played center, he averaged like five assists per game from the center position. Was really the best passing center in the NBA until Jokic came in. Um, and you throw in the fact that he was great defensively. He can shoot. He can like was consistently a shooting threat throughout his career. Um, and the teams made the playoffs. Like, that's the thing about the Grizzlies. It's like, okay, look, they didn't win the championship. But all those great Western Conference teams that eventually um, made it to the finals and some, you know, including the Spurs or the Lakers, uh, end up winning the championship. Like, all those great Western Conference teams, like, they struggled with the Grizzlies. Like, even the 2015 Golden State Warriors. And at, by this point, grit and grind is almost dead, right? They're, they're, they're almost ground to a halt yeah. at this point. But even that team struggled with the Grizzlies. They were down 2-1. So uh, yeah. I, I think Mark was part of a really, really great franchise. He made that franchise great. There was no greatness in uh, Memphis before Marcus Gasol was there. Uh, Pau Gasol was good, yeah. but like that team wasn't that great. Um, and, and Mark, along with Conley and, of course, along with Zebo, who came on a little later, uh, really, really made that thing into what it was. So, yeah, I think Mark was second overall, which is, again, incredible because the Lakers took him 48th. Yeah, and and I, I think again with the win shares and stuff, you you see a bit of that sort of Eastern Conference Western Conference bias, and so you know Atlanta. You look at some of the the, the regular seasons that they had, the success that they had. Were they as good as you know that that time they won sixty games and then end up getting swept out by LeBron anyway? Like you know the yeah. so you got to take those things into consideration. Like you look at Marcus All and those grit and grind Grizzlies, like they had epic battles with. Uh, the Thunder with the Spurs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was there was that one season where they swept the Spurs, right? So, yeah. so you're talking about a really tremendous team. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I, yeah, I, I don't. I think objectively, when you're looking at just Marcus All and Al Horford, um, you would you take Marcus All every time. You know, maybe at the start of their careers, uh, if there is one thing you would say. Uh, about Horford over Gasol is that maybe Horford is more of a willing shooter and so if yeah. you're looking at the draft and you're saying oh okay we need a bit more individual scoring that type of thing you then you might lean towards Horford but if you're looking at the better overall player I think you're taking Gasol every time yeah for sure um by the way I also like to look back because um the Raptors at this time obviously were not as competent as they were later in this uh, in in this draft class and stuff like that, but um, the Raptors in 2017 or sorry 2007 did not have a pick. Um, apparently, they would have had the 22nd pick, but that was moved to Charlotte. I don't remember what deal this was that Charlotte the Bobcats got the Raptors first round pick, but uh, the, the 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 Bobcats took Jared Dudley, which honestly Raptors could have used a guy like Jared Dudley, three and D Ford, like yeah, know. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you you look at someone like Jared Dudley. I mean, uh, it's possible that maybe someone like Nicholas Batum might have fallen all the way, knowing what we know now. 
Well, um, I mean, listen, knowing uh, Brian Colangelo, he probably would have been dying to take Nicola Batum. <laughs> yeah. And he would have been good. He would have been good. And so, uh, you know, looking at – oh, wait. I'm looking at – I'm looking at the – I mixed up. I'm looking at – oh, wait. Oh, uh, word, uh, word, word. Never mind, never mind. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, there's guys like Aaron Aplalo in this draft too. Um, okay. Those type of guys I think would have been interesting. Um, but, you know, one of the interesting debates I, I was having in my head was uh, you look at the longevity. Who, who Who's had the better career, Joakim Noah or, or Thaddeus Young? Okay, the thing with that is just I feel like Joakim was the number two guy on those Bulls teams. The ceiling was higher. Yeah, The ceiling was higher. Joakim's, I mean, to your point, like Thad is still a productive player now. Uh, oddly, he's with the Bulls, um, but he's like still a productive player despite being on a bad team. Uh, whereas Joakim is, I think, out of the league. Last year, he was with the Grizzlies briefly, but you know his career kind of petered out. Um, but the thing with that is just yeah, the the ceiling's just not that high. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, was he but ever he, the third best player on a playoff team? Third like, best player on a playoff. Team. So they made the playoffs with Philly, right? That one season. Yeah. Where they got bounced by Chicago, I think, or did they lose? Or did Chicago lose to them? I can't remember now. But I think that was when yeah, yeah, yeah. Iguodala was still there. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the Chicago lost to them because Derrick Rose got hurt, and then right. they yeah, I think yeah. they won in seven games. But even back then, like I don't know, man. Like AI was really good. Um, yeah, and we're talking about Iguodala, not not Allen Iverson. He's he's moved on at that point. Um, you know, yeah. Lou Williams was really good for that team. So, Even Evan yeah. Turner was really good for that team. Sp- uh, was Spencer Hawes there? I don't even remember, to be honest. Oh, maybe Elton Brand or something. But it's funny because you're looking at, uh, say, for example, at number five, Boston takes Jeff Green and, ta- and uses him in the Ray Allen trade. That's true. That's pretty good. You, they I got mean, great return for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of just a pick, you're taking Thaddeus Young over Jeff Green every time now, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay, so the 2008 NBA draft. So the Raptors, uh, that's Serge Ibaka. Uh, Serge Ibaka goes 24th in the 2008 NBA draft uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Great draft for the Thunder, by the way. They got two pieces of their core four in this draft. They got Westbrook, who was picked fourth overall, which at the time, super ballsy move. But when you look back at it, Rose or Westbrook is definitely the best player at this draft. Um you know, but yeah, they got Westbrook, they got uh, Serge Ibaka, and those two guys were great for them. But um, this one is it's not as easy as the 2006 draft with Lowry or the 2007 draft with Gasol. Those two guys were clearly at worst the second best player in in, in hindsight. This Serge, one's deeper too. So, yeah, this one's really deep. The 2008 draft class. So first out, the top five goes Derrick Rose number one, Michael Beasley number two, OJ Mayo number three, Russell Westbrook number four, Kevin Love number five. Now, um, the way I kind of looked at it was. You know, um, who is clearly better than Serge Ibaka in this draft, right? Because I think we can agree Westbrook is clearly better. We can agree Kevin Love is clearly better. We can agree that even though it was a very short time, but Derrick Rose's peak is so far and beyond anything that Serge Ibaka ever did that I would say uh, Derrick Rose is better. But past that, I don't know, man. Like, Serge, I have Serge fourth overall in this draft, which is... Probably a little high, but it's it doesn't sound as crazy as it is. Where did you have Surge? So, for the fun of it, I took 
surge forth because mm-hmm. I was like, just imagine you go back to last year uh, and say Marcus Ole goes second to Seattle, and now Ibaka gets picked fourth here, and oh, they start man. their careers together. Oh man! <laughs> like wow, yeah, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, so. Um, yeah, I have him fourth. I think the the interesting debates uh, are probably uh, Brook Lopez. Yep. Um, and you look at his peak, and even now he continues to be a key part of that Bucks team, a key part of their defense, and the way he uh, spaces the floor. Obviously, not shooting the ball as well this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think he's someone that you would sort of look at and debate. But then I looked at Serge. You know, those first few uh, years in the league, the defensive impact. Uh, yeah. The way he could block shots, uh, you know, he had a fairly high ceiling too. And so, yeah, you're right. In terms of if you look at the list of, say, him, Gallinari, Brooke Lopez, um, and then you can sort of just maybe a tier below that, DeAndre Jordan, Goran Dragic, uh, Eric Gordon, you know, you can't really say any of those guys are definitively better than him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with Ibaka at four over there. Um, and again, you know, maybe if you have a need uh, at the position and you need some shooting, you go with Gallo, um, you know, the, that type of thing. But yeah, I'm comfortable with Serge being effectively the second best big man in that draft class. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, kept- as you mentioned, the closest guy is Lopez and Lopez is, I mean, he's a better offensive player. Um, he's always had more of a post game like way more of a post game than Serge and um maybe outside shooting wise it's comparable because Serge actually shoots a better percentage but at the same time like the volume and you know the the volume matters in this case and I think Lopez is still pretty effective offensively on that and uh, despite despite basically shooting like 30 percent again Giannis man please do do better for yourself like love yourself come to Toronto um and the the case for Lopez is also that you know he was the leading guy uh, at least some at some point um, you know yeah. like obviously Brooklyn well I guess New Jersey when he was there too they weren't that great but like you know they had Brook Lopez at least and he was a number one guy they could function they weren't great again they missed the playoffs they were you know a bottom ten team but he still functioned as a number one guy which is whereas you can never imagine Serge functioning as a number one guy he just doesn't have that ability but. Defensively, Serge hasn't beat. Even though now Lopez is really good defensively, uh, for a while he really wasn't. Um, you look at Serge; he led the block uh, the league in blocks twice. Uh, in one of those seasons, he averaged three point seven blocks per game. Like what? That's that's insane. That's nuts, man. Because he gets three point seven blocks a week now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, three times All Defensive First Team for Serge Ibaka. That's very impressive. Not a lot of players can say that. Even Marcus exactly. All has not been th- three times All-Defensive Player for his team. Um, but, it, but it shows how much the stats matter, right? Yeah. When you lead the league in shot blocking. Like, for me, even this season, for me, Marcus All is the better defensive player than Rudy Gobert. Okay. But Rudy Gobert is going to get the love because he has, like, the block shots and all that. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And he'll touch a microphone if you uh, if you say otherwise. Um, <laughs> with Serge, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and also he has a championship, which again, like, if it's close to me, I'm giving the I'm giving the ring. I'm, I'm giving the edge to the ring, and, and maybe that's not fair because obviously everyone on the Raptors has a ring. But hey, man, listen, uh, Serge actually contributed. You know what I mean? Like, you think about Game Seven, uh, what Serge did uh, in terms of that scoring, in terms of the threes. Um, 
I was actually looking back at it, you know, ranking the best players sort of uh, on the Raptors last year in the playoff run. To me, Serge came in number five. And, you know, if you look at Kawhi obviously being the most impactful, Pascal, Kyle. And then I would put Mark ahead of Serge just because Mark defensively was really, really solid. But Serge is kind of, he's five and he's closer to four than he is closer to six. Six is obviously Van Vliet. Um, I mean, yeah, Danny Green seven. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, Serge had some great moments in the finals too. Like there were games where he was putting up like four blocks, you know, like putting up close to 20 points and a lot of those games on the road. I just remember Serge like really coming alive and winning that DeMarcus Cousins matchup. So again, like some of these moments, you know, when you, when I say you, 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 the difference goes to a guy who won the, who has a ring is like, when I see you make that kind of like impact and contribution on the NBA's biggest stage, like that to me is worth more than the fact that Brooke Lopez averaged like an additional four or five points per game, you know, while no one was at the IZOD center. <laughs> <laughs> like it just matters more, that's, man. That's fair. So, um, yeah, Devin Harris hours. Yeah. Wow. Um, other guys to consider from this draft, I mean, as you mentioned, Eric Gorn, uh, Gallinari, Goran Dragic, George Hill, low-key, has been pretty impactful, but yeah. come on, man, George Hill's not ahead of Serge Ibaka. Uh, Nicola Batum, uh, Ryan Anderson, Robin Lopez, and the guy I wanted to put on this list, Roy Hibbert, who, I mean, he's not going, he's not like the fourth best player in this draft by any means, but I just wanted to bring up Roy Hibbert because, again, the Raptors at the time had the opportunity to pick Roy Hibbert with the 17th pick, but instead they traded that pick to Indiana for Jermaine O'Neal so that they could form the, <laughs> the, the, the triple towers of Jermaine <laughs> O'Neal, Andrea Bargnani, and Chris Bosh, man. They were playing, they traded for Jermaine O'Neal so that they could put Bargnani in the number one pick at small forward. It failed yeah. miserably. And again, whatever, like it's not like Roy Hibbert was going to be a huge difference maker, but Roy Hibbert was actually a pretty good player for a while. Like, you know what I mean? He anchored yeah. a team that really pushed LeBron to the brink in the playoffs as well. Um, and, yeah, that's a lot I mean, more like, than what Jermaine O'Neal did for the Raptors. Yeah, and again, if you're drafting a team for 2008, he does still go high, right? Because yeah. the type of basketball that was being played at that time, the relevance of the center position, like he's one of those centers that just got ushered out by the three-point era, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was Mr. Verticality. Uh, before everyone, uh, you know, all of these sort of elite bigs started doing it. And so, um, yeah, again, I think he's someone that gets hurt by recency bias. But I thought he was a huge part of those Pacers teams. And, you know, you look at the value of him uh, versus, say, an Eric Gordon now. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, man, Eric Gordon, no-brainer. But back then, it was like, no, Roy Hibbert, no-brainer, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, things like that, you know, again, because of the shift in the league, uh, I think hurts him. Like, you know, back then, DeAndre Jordan was exciting. But in terms of winning basketball, um, you're probably taking Roy Herbert. So, Yeah. yeah, I think that type of stuff is interesting. Yeah, for sure. I just want to bring it up because, again, I'm just I'm just angry at how bad the Raptors were at the NBA draft in the first three picks. And then if you compare it to what, uh, after Masai and Bobby and company took over the team, like what they did with their picks, cause they're way better. So, um, but yeah, Serge, man, fourth overall in the 2008 redraft, like congratulations to Serge. Like that's, that's impressive. Cause he came in 24th overall. 
um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been an incredible career for Serge Ibaka. Congratulations. Loki, before we move on, you know, this is sort of a forgotten phase of the Raptors, but when they made that trade for Sean Marion, that actually fit way better. Like, that Sean Marion, Bargnani, Bosch trio fit way better than Jermaine O'Neal. Oh, yeah. Because, like, Marion gave the rebounding that Bargnani wasn't, Mm -hmm. and he could still defend the perimeter guys. So that was actually low-key a, a kind of fun team to watch. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, this is the weird, the weird thing about the Sean Marion thing was, like, he was here for, like, 30 games. And then yeah. he dipped. And, like, I don't remember a yeah. single thing about that era, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you're right, though. Like, uh, stylistically, it fit better. But I think because they took on Marion from the Heat, um, that actually... Because the, the, they, they traded Jermaine O'Neal to Miami, and the reason Miami got Jermaine O'Neal was because he was a large expiring contract in the summer of 2010. And that way they were able to go out and sign Chris Bosh. So, again, I mean, I don't know if you really won that deal, if you ultimately created the opportunity to lose Chris Bosh to Miami at that point. But um, okay, The so- number of BC stories, like, it's wild. Like, you, you talked about uh, Colangelo being excited to draft Nikola Batum if he had the chance. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this story, but... When the Raptors, they I can't remember if they traded for Juan Dixon or oh, yeah. they signed him as a free agent. <laughs> they traded for him. But they traded for him. I don't know if you remember this story uh-huh. that when Colangelo went to meet him for the first time, one of the first things he said to him mm-hmm. was, I thought you were Spanish. <laughs> He's like, oh, I thought you were the conquistador, Juan Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know you were an NBA player. <laughs> but I would have picked you anyway. <laughs> Mauricio Garadini <laughs> swore that Juan Dixon was yeah wow damn that's unbelievable man that's unbelievable honestly the Colangelo years very tumultuous but uh, definitely definitely a lot of stories from that time um, okay so those are the three old guys all right uh, Kyle Mark uh, Serge the next the next I guess most experienced player would be Norman Powell in the 2015 NBA draft so the Raptors have three guys on the roster from the 2015 NBA draft. Uh, they have Norman yeah. Powell, who was picked 46 by the Toronto Raptors. Well, eh, by the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, thank you by that, by the way. <laughs> In exchange for Gravis Vasquez. Definitely a great deal for yeah. Toronto. Um, Roddy Hollis-Jefferson, who's on the roster, he went 23rd overall in 2015. And uh, Stanley Johnson, who went 8th overall uh, in 2015. Uh, let's let's start with Norm. Um, so, I think... So, ultimately, I had Norm 10th overall. And it, it feels a little generous, because I, I do feel like... I'm more heavily weighing this current season of Norm where he's been fantastic uh, as compared to the first four seasons where Norm had flashes but was very inconsistent. But the way I kind of worked back was I looked at which players were clearly better than Norm from this draft. So I got Car Anthony Towns, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Kristaps Porzingis, Devin Booker, and Miles Turner. Like those guys for me are definitively better. And then you got guys like Montrez Harrell, Josh Richardson, Kelly Oubre, and Justice Winslow. And to be honest, I kind of got all four of those guys ahead of Norm as well. Um, you know, that's more debatable for me, but that's how I ultimately settled on 10 because I got those guys, nine, those nine players ahead of Norm. But um, where, where, do you, where did you have Norm in the 2015 uh, NBA So I draft? actually have him ninth. Okay. Uh, because I had him ahead of Justice Winslow just because of the injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and availability is a big thing. And That's true. Norm has been very available. Uh, just, you know, 
for some reason, some coaches have preferred to play Damari Carroll. And uh, I mean, hey, man, to be fair, Damari Carroll's making like 60 mil. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, so that, those are the issues uh, that he's kind of had to deal with in his career. I'm mm-hmm. glad he's finally sort of come into his own. Um, frankly, I even had DeLon Wright ahead of Justice Winslow. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So, uh, I was, I, in terms of debating where uh, Winslow goes, I had him with, like, uh, Rashawn Holmes. Oh, wow. And, okay. Yeah. Wow. So, you're, I feel like you're telling me come on this season. Um, him, you know, you look at a guy like uh, Bobby Portis, obviously, he's got the off court issues, but he can score. Um, yeah. So, again, like, you know, I think with every player that gets drafted there's only so long that you can kind of ride your potential Mm -hmm. and when i look at what justice winslow's potential was coming into the draft yeah i mean i think he's been way below expectations when you look at his career thus far yeah i mean look i think that's completely but he's just not he just hasn't been there yeah look i I think that's fair but i mean at the same time i i I really liked what winslow did for the heat last season like he kind of played point guard for a bit last year for the heat he averaged 12.6 12.6 points per game, uh, 5.5 rebounds, 4.3 assists. Um, shot the three at a pretty decent rate at 37%. And, you know, just overall, to me, like, to the eye test, I was like, I'm kind of impressed. Like, this is a starting level player. He can do some things both ways. Uh, uh, not necessarily a dominant player, but definitely could do some things. Um, obviously, this year he's been so banged up and he got traded. So, you know, uh, whatever. But, listen. um Thank- in five, in five seasons, he's played under 20 games twice. Yeah. No, that's a real problem, man. It's a, it's a real problem that he gets hurt so much. And even though he's – and it's, he's not like a sure thing when he's healthy too. So I get that. But I don't know. There's something about Winslow. Like I just like – I like that type of player. And from that one season, I really did buy into it. Like maybe I'm not as crazy on Winslow as like uh, the Memphis Grizzlies were to just like take on like uh, Solomon Hill's contract as well to, to just to justify Winslow. But – um, you know, I I, I kind of rate him, but to be honest, if you want to say Norm's better than Winslow, like I'm not gonna make that big of an argument because you know Norm this season has been really, really, really good. The only thing with Norm is just like, look, the last four years before this, the first four years of Norm's career, he was really inconsistent, and so that that does hurt. That really does hurt. Like Norm yeah. really lost his way for a couple of those years, and he finally broke out, and it's amazing it did it. But um, I kind of maybe want to see a little bit more longevity out of that uh, as well. But um, that's fair. Yeah, some of the other guys though. I mean, you know, it. it this is the thing. Norm has probably the most upward mobility between some of these guys. Like, I, could, if you tell me next year, would I rather have Norm or Winslow? Uh, it's real debatable. Like, I, th- I think Norm can continue this level, and if he does, then yeah, he would be above Winslow. Uh, he might be a, above a guy like Kelly Oubre, who, you know, he's doing good things for the Phoenix Suns, but that's still the Phoenix Suns. Like, that's not even a playoff team. Norm's contributing to a playoff team. Josh Richardson, yeah. he's had a pretty decent career, and he's had a pretty nice moments with the Heat. Like last year, is averaging like close to seventeen points per game. So, um, I, I, you know, I appreciate that. I guess and he's pretty good defensively. He can handle the ball a little bit more and play make a little bit more than Norm as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, listen, for Norm to go from the forty sixth pick to now ninth Are for you, top ten, yeah, and tenth for me, like that's that's awesome. That's yeah. really really good. Um, what about a guy like Rondé? So Rondé goes 23rd overall. Um, again, you know, the guys that are clearly better than Rondé, this, this list is a lot longer, but we've got Towns, Russell, Porzingis. For me, Winslow, um, Evan, or Miles Turner, 
uh, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Terry Rozier, DeLon Wright, Montrezl Harrell, Norman Powell, um, you know, and, and Josh Richardson. And so that's 12 guys right there that are clearly definitively better than Rondé. And then we're yeah. looking at a group like Bobby Portis, Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, Chetty Osman, Rashawn Holmes, Larry Nance, you know, Trey Lyles, Kavon Looney, like, yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I would take those guys over Rondé. All of uh, those guys? Yeah, pretty much. I okay. mean, un- unless you've just got, like, a really great offensive team mm-hmm. and all you want is defensive help uh yeah. then go ronde um but yeah i think I, I i think you know i think delon is clearly better uh rashawn holmes i think the way he's played this season I, w- I would definitely take him uh larry nance i think is a solid role player um yeah uh you know when you factor in sort of the chemistry stuff, then you could maybe make the case for Rondé over Bobby Portis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, yeah, I mean, hey, listen when you when you talk about that chemistry stuff, are you talking about the fact the time that Bobby Portis punched out Nikola Mirotic? Yeah, after he exactly, admitted that that's exactly what I'm talking about. After he after one of my favorite NBA stories, and you can look this up, is Bobby Portis once said in an interview he plays with a type of fury where he envisions that his opponent punched his mom. And that that's how he approaches games, that his opponent punched his mom, which is look, man, I I, I get it, you gotta motivate yourself, but that is that is not the way to motivate yourself, man. You don't need to imagine that bodily harm to your mom, man. What's wrong with you? Yeah. But it, like I even like a guy like Trey Lyles. Um Yeah. I thought he was a solid contributor in Utah. Um maybe he's like slipped a little in San Antonio because you know, their expectations, you know, you do exactly you know what we ask of you mm-hmm. and until you learn that you're not really going to see much time so i think he struggled with that a little bit i mean but um, hey but that's player, pretty much how, that's pretty much how the toronto raptors handle ronda <laughs> that's true that's true and yeah. he did figure it out so credit to him yeah uh, for figuring it out because he he was definitely uh, in the doghouse to start the season yeah um i think maybe an interesting debate is when you get to like a kavon looney and a willie hernan gomez um, because yeah. Looney, I think, has been unlucky with injuries. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's a decent center option. Um, that's just been unlucky with injuries. So, again, when you start factoring health and that type of stuff, but yeah, I would, I would take Rondé over, say, a guy like, you know, Mario Hazonia, who went quite early in this draft. Fifth. And, yeah. So when you look at uh, where their careers are at right now, I'd rather have Rondé than him. Yeah. Uh, and I was frankly someone who was pretty high on his own, yeah. Uh, right. And I thought he'd figure it out, uh, but he hasn't to this point. Yeah. So, I don't. I, you know, maybe just maybe he just about sneaks into the top twenty. But yeah. either way, I still think uh, you know he's in. He's in the first round. He's maybe just in those early twenties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, for me, I got him twenty because the the draft wasn't that deep. In terms of just yeah. like uh, mid-tier guys, and you know, at this point, we're talking about drafts that are so recent that some of these guys still have potential; they could still take a leap in their careers. So it's hard to say, yeah. but um, yeah, this draft really falls off, um, you know, because if you're talking about mid twenties, we're talking about guys like R.J. Hunter and Raheem Christmas, and you know, stuff like that. So um, 
you know, it's it's like, would you rather have Rondé or Pat Connaughton or whatever? But even if you put Connaughton in there, he's probably still around 20. So I'm keeping Rondé at roughly 20. Um, Stanley Johnson, he won he won eighth overall in this draft. Um, my my only question to you really is 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 Stanley Johnson still a first round pick if you were to redraft the no. 2015 draft? Are you no. sure? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, even towards the end of the draft, like anyone that's had any type of productivity in the NBA from this draft class is going ahead of Stanley Johnson. Oh come on, man! So come on, man! Um, come on, Julian before is still going ahead of him. Okay, fair, fair. Um, Tyus Jones is definitely going ahead of him. Yep. Uh, Jerry Grant, mm-hmm. um, Sam Decker. Sam, uh, well, Sam Decker? Come on, Sam man. Sam Decker has actually had multiple productive games. <laughs> what, what are we talking and about? Yo? Stanley Johnson has had, like, two. What, what about Justin Anderson? Um, Come on, I mean, man. Justin Anderson was with the 905. No, I'll leave Justin Anderson out. Who, uh, who, did better, pick- who did better for the 905? Justin Anderson or... Stanley Johnson. Like the real debate is who's getting drafted first, Stanley Johnson or Cameron Payne. Oh boy, man, the Raptors really had a lot of guys from this draft. Uh, okay, he's ahead of. Come on, he's ahead of Cameron Payne. Cameron Payne. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Hey, yeah, yeah. That's okay. where he is the draft. Okay, so to me, the thing, the reason I ask you this is again because I don't think that the draft runs that deep. Because um, there's twenty. He's so Stanley Johnson is twenty second. In points in this draft, um, the twenty players above him, um, I would say, are definitely better than him. The one guy I said was below him was Mario Hazonia, which is kind of debatable, but I, I really don't think Hazonia is very good. So maybe I'm putting him out of that. So we're talking about twenty players right there. Guys like Osman, Delon Wright, Tyus Jones, Jerry Grant, Pat Connaughton, Kevon Looney. Those guys all average less than Stanley Johnson in scoring, but I would rather have those guys. So yeah. we're talking about like. Definitely twenty six players, maybe twenty seven players better than Stanley. But then past that point, you know, you know he's he's probably still sneaking at thirtieth or, or something like that. So, yeah, I'm keeping Stanley in the top the the, the top uh, of the uh, twenty fifteen NBA draft. I still believe in Stanley. You know, he could still do something, maybe. I mean, shoot, I mean, looking back on it, I'm kind of wishing, uh, you know, at least Satnam Singh will give me content. Oh my god. Yo, how do we jump to this? How do we jump to this? Yo, by the way, when we when you're watching the Jordan doc last weekend on that uh, that stream link I sent you. Um when you were watching the the Jordan doc, at one point they're talking about Jordan going golfing with someone and they kept saying Satnam Singh and that's all I could hear. Do, do you know what I'm talking about on the broadcast? I was so confused, man. Yeah, no. I I know what you're talking about, but I have no idea what they were actually saying. Um, yeah. So I let that be, but yeah, I I had to give the brown man a shout out, man. We don't we, we don't get to see many of those in the NBA. Wow, there you go. Um, okay, so that's the 2015 NBA draft. Um, again, the Raptors did pretty well because they got Norm, uh, who in our redraft goes you know between nine and ten, and the Raptors picked him at 46. So that's great value. Moving on to the 2016 NBA draft, this one's very very interesting because the Raptors took Pascal Siakam. 27th in this draft class um uh, you know fred van vliet goes undrafted it'll be very interesting to see where you think he goes undrafted and of course uh pat mccaw was also in this draft class uh he went 28th to the golden state warriors uh let's start with pascal siakam um are you in agreement with me that pascal goes first overall in this redraft or are I you am. are you a ben simmons stand 
No, I think Pascal Siakam goes number one, uh, mainly because I feel like his game is more portable. There's just more different types of teams that he can fit into. Mm -hmm. And so I think that makes him the better player. And again, you look at the value of the jump shot now, like there's still strides that Ben Simmons needs to make uh, and take in that area. Uh, So as elite as Ben Simmons is defensively and and the playmaking that he can provide, um, you know, again, we, we talk about, uh, talk a lot about LeBron being like a one man fast break, like Ben Simmons, like when he gets the ball on the run. Oh yeah. There's really not much you can do. So, um, but yeah, overall, I think right now to this point, uh, I would take Pascal Siakam first overall. Um, but yeah, Ben Simmons, definitely the second best player in this draft to me. Um, though, you know, Brandon Ingram has made things interesting this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, Simmons is Simmons. I agree, is the closest one. Um, you know, Ingram. I still want to see him do it for a little bit longer and sort of affect winning. Uh, maybe it's not necessarily fair for him to just be like, "All right, I want Brandon Ingram to lead the Pelicans to the playoffs or whatever." But you know, uh, still, I, I'd like to see those numbers sort of just impact winning a little bit more. Jalen Brown, honestly, has had a really nice breakout year for the Celtics. He's really made good on his potential. He's averaging 20 points per game this season on 49% shooting from the field and 38% from three. And he's really good defensively, and he's only 23. So there's really a case. And there's even a guy like Jamal Murray in this draft who, again, um, maybe it's because we're in Canada, we overrate Jamal Murray just a little bit because of that. But still, like he's you know he's been uh, the second option on the Nuggets who were second overall in the East in the West last year and third uh, in the West this season uh, before the league shut down so uh, there's a case for Murray as well but I agree it's mostly versus Simmons versus Siakam when you look at Simmons okay so he wins rookie of the year um, you know maybe some people will argue he wasn't a rookie because he was he was chilling the first year but whatever okay so he wins rookie of the year uh, as a sophomore whatever that's fine I guess um, that's like being the best uh, <laughs> the best 12th grader as an as a grade 11 kid um he's second uh sorry he's a two-time all-star which no other player in this draft can say uh ingram and siakam were both first-time all-stars as was uh sabonis who was ninth in this draft or 10th in this draft um you know simmons he leads this draft in total points in total rebounding and total assists he's by far and away the best win shares guy uh, and he's only 23, but really, to me, the difference between Simmons and Siakam, even besides all of that, is just, I kind of look at, when they when these two guys went head-to-head, um, what were the results? And Siakam, in the East, the conference finals, and the conference finals in which he got hurt, and he hurt his groin, but um, Siakam averaged 19 points per game, he averaged 6 rebounds, 2 steals, and he was so good and so effective, especially in that game one, where he came out just guns blazing, Um that the Sixers had to change. They had to adapt what they were doing as a team to guard against Siakam. They had to put a defensive player of the year level type talent in Joel Embiid to guard Siakam. Whereas the Raptors didn't have to make any adjustments with Ben Simmons. It was cool. Like if we put Kalari on Ben Simmons, that's fine. If we put Kawhi on Ben Simmons, that's fine. Honestly, if Danny had to guard Ben Simmons for a couple possessions, that's fine. Pascal can definitely guard Ben Simmons. Um, where the Raptors struggled was, was sort of like, how do you contain Embiid? Uh, how do you contain Jimmy Butler? Things like that. Those were issues. But re- they never really had to worry about Ben Simmons. And Simmons averaged 11 points per game in the conference semifinals last year. 
his main benefit obviously was as a playmaker, but he averaged 4.9 assists per game against 2.4 turnovers, so a two two to one assist to uh, a turnover ratio. And like I don't know, man, I can't get out of my head the fact that in Game Seven, all Ben Simmons was doing was either running over Kyle Lowry and, and getting called for charges, or just standing in the dunker spot waiting for a pass and never came. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. no, I, I think. I would I would take it even one step further where, you know, I look at, of course, you know, the playoffs matter the most and you make some great points. But you even look at uh, this season, that early matchup that the Sixers had with the Raptors and the Raptors were without Ibaka, without Kyle Lowry and the, and Philly clearly had the advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, yeah, yeah. Gasol holding Embiid to zero points had a lot to do with that win. But again, you know, those are situations where Philly is favored, and even if Embiid's struggling, Simmons has got to find something, um, find a, find, a, find a different way to impact the game. And I, I don't think uh, he's proven that. I mean, there's been again, we've seen at times where, like, there's just straight chemistry issues where, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you see the flow of the offense better when ben, Sim- ben Simmons is out there without Embiid. You see Embiid thrive when Simmons isn't there. So uh, there's some of that where you know you think okay if Simmons has the right fit uh around him maybe he can reach his max potential uh and I don't I I don't I don't think he can reach his max potential playing next to Embiid um at the same time you know you probably look at Embiid and say that's that's the only way you have a championship ceiling Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but yeah I I think Philly's got a tough situation with those two Mm -hmm. um I think personally, I think they need to just figure out which one they want to commit to, and and try to get assets back for the other one, and build the right way around one of them. Um, and I think that that's their route to a higher ceiling than what they have now. But right now, I think it's just a mess with their situation. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and this is another thing for Simmons is that look, he's only twenty three, whereas Pascal I think is already twenty six. So you might look at oh wow, Simmons has more upside. But, I mean, like, upside is sort of relative, right? Like, we've seen guys like Kyle develop late in his career and really take steps. What I look at is which player has made tangible improvements. Ben Simmons as a rookie versus Ben Simmons now, not that different. I'm sure Ben Simmons has improved in marginal ways. Maybe he makes better reads or whatever offensively. But we're talking about the same flaws. We're talking about the same strength. That's the same dude. Pascal he still Siakam. Has bad turnovers. He still has oh. bad, bad turnovers. Yeah, well, because he jumps and defenders are not jumping with him. They're basically saying you can shoot, and then he has to jump and throw a pass, and a lot of times those get uh, become turnovers. Um, but you know, Simmons hasn't really changed as a player, whereas Siakam has shown so much improvement every single year that I'm like, all right, well, I mean, I don't know, man. I I see a guy in Siakam who is more coachable than Ben Simmons is. Like, literally, you got Brett Brown in the media begging, begging Ben Simmons, yo, just take one three a game. I don't care if it's a brick. Just shoot one three a game. And Ben Simmons is like, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to shoot one three. Whereas Siakam yeah. accepts any role that's given to him. Uh, he's shown real tangible growth. And he's very humble about the fact that he still needs to improve. If you hear what Ben Simmons says about his jump shot, he's like, look, I can succeed in spite of it. You know what I mean? I don't have to do that. It's a little bit of the DeMar DeRozan thing of like, look, I'm so good at the mid-range. Why do I got to, you know, uh, shoot a three? Whereas Ben Simmons is like, I'm so good at shooting layups. Why do I need to do anything else? I can't even really shoot free throws well either. So, um, you know, you, you compare that to what Siakam says. And Siakam is humble at every single step. He's like, look, 
I know where I am now, but I, I have a goal in mind. I want to be the best version of myself. I need to work on being a playmaker. I need to work on being the number one guy. I need to work on all these moves. Like, he's always talking about how much more he needs to improve. So when I see that mentality as well, like, I, I give that edge to Siakam. Yeah, no, you make a great point about uh, Ben Simmons and and DeRozan, that comp in terms of their stubbornness to change. Mm-hmm. And with Siakam, I think to add to, yeah, sure, you can look at the age and say 26, 23. Mm-hmm. But when you look at basketball experience, Ben Simmons has been playing this game for a long time. That's true. That's and true. Pascal Siakam has not. Yeah. And so when I look at that and you look at the lessons that Siakam still has to learn, you look at the way he'll be able to take this season, whether it continues or not, the the, the lessons he's taken right from game one. Um, and honestly, if this if this season doesn't continue, it's almost going to be like a blessing in disguise that he had to play all those games without Kyle and without Serge and without Mark. And, you know, because it puts so much more of the onus on him mm-hmm. that if the team is healthy next season, it, he is going to be able to pick defenses apart. And we saw that towards the end of the season you look at you know those games against sacramento on the road uh against golden state the way he was closing out those games you there was a real maturity mm-hmm. uh and understanding of how to sort of take what the defense gives you and, and close teams out yeah pascal man i mean come on man pascal over uh over ben simmons come on this is not even close um okay <laughs> fred van vliet so yeah, he goes undrafted <laughs> well yeah um, so, okay, so Fred Van goes undrafted 2016. To yeah. me, again, the same approach. You know, who's clearly better than C- uh, Van Vliet? I would say Siakam is. I'd say Ben Simmons is, even though I just spent all this time slandering Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is a better player than Fred Van Vliet at this point. Brandon Ingram's better. Uh, Jalen Brown's better. Jamal Murray. Uh, and, and Sabonis is better. Uh, he's just made an all-star team. And even a guy like Buddy Heald. I mean, like again, like, you know, Sacramento hasn't done anything. Uh, and, you know, maybe Heald should be more impactful towards winning but you know early in his career so far you know, he's hit 20 points per game he's been one of the most prolific three-point shooters in the nba uh and you know it's just i kind of value what he'll uh, does if you really want to make an argument i could i can entertain it but i i do think buddy healed at least right now with the upside and the scoring so like that is a little bit ahead of fred van vliet um but past that i mean i don't know man so fred for me is going like ninth overall for me um, and that's might be honestly a, a little bit detrimental to Fred because again he's won a championship and things like that. But where did Fred VanVleet go for you in uh, a redraft of the 2016 NBA draft? Um, so I had a few guys ahead of him. Okay. Um, so uh, I don't know. So I, I'm assuming you consider him better than Malcolm Brogdon at this point. Brogdon's the the, the eighth guy that was a little bit ahead of him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I so I had Brogdon ahead of him, um, and then I think because there's so much potential left to see, mm-hmm. um, I put Dejounte Murray ahead of him as well. Yeah. Because um, I, I I really think he he's super talented, and I think he's just been unlucky with the injuries. And I think this is the inter- the fun part of looking at these drafts now is we we we're, we're still factoring in so much potential, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, so it's going to get a lot more subjective now in terms of what you're thinking, what I'm thinking. Um, so, you know, for me, looking long term, I'm still looking at DeJounte Murray and saying, you know, this this is someone that can be super impactful on both ends of the floor. Um, and Fred, you know, um, I almost wonder 
how close he is to his ceiling kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, I, maybe that's why I sort of tilted the scales in fa- favor of DeJounte. Um, and then, yeah, I have DeMontis De- a bonus out of him. So I have Fred uh, pretty much 11th. Okay. Um, and so he's he's ahead of guys like uh, Karis Lavert. He's mm-hmm. ahead of uh, Ivica Zubac, Jakob Perto, Malik yep. Beasley, Furkan Korkmaz, Torian Prince, those type of guys. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I thought about Murray as well. He's on my sort of list of considered, uh, considerations in terms of contenders with Fred. Um, I see the upside point for sure because you look at it, you know, he's a big point guard, like 6'5". He's got a big wingspan, really, really quick as well, um, you know. But the thing with Jante is just like, look, man, I don't know how much I trust a point guard in the modern NBA who takes – uh, 1.6 three-point attempts per game. And that's actually a career high this year for DeJounte. Uh, and, you know, on those 1.6 threes, no one's really guarding him for those. And he's still only shooting like 36%. Whereas Fred has been a lights-out three-point shooter from the jump. Like, even when he was a rookie, in the few games he played, he was a really good three-point shooter um, and has been around 40%. Uh, and this season, I've been really impressed with the fact that Fred has scaled up the volume of threes that he's taken and still kept his percentages really high. Um, there are always going to be physical limitations with Fred. Like, you know, his two-point percentage was not even high in college. So I don't expect it to be high in, you know, the pros where uh, there's like seven-footers on every single team. But at the same time, like, when you factor in the leadership, you know, when you factor in the defense, you know, a big part of DeJounte's game is defense. While Fred's really, really freaking good. I love to see DeJounte Murray do as good of a job on Steph Curry as Fred did last year. So, you know, for me, like... You know, the thing with Fred is, though, look, when you when you consider this draft thing, you're always going to end up making the mistake that other people made, right? The reason Fred VanVleet goes undrafted is because you look at him and you're like, this guy's 5'10", all right? Can't really jump that much. Uh, you know, he can shoot, but can't really finish that much. You know, his ceiling is limited. We're talking about a guy, low ceiling, low potential, at least us on paper. And so people are always going to pass on him for guys who are more flashy, like DeJounte Murray. But for me, I'm like, look, I've seen what Fred done. I've seen Fred improve. Uh, I've seen Fred sort of make a game for himself. I've seen Fred take a leap this year to becoming a starter. Uh, he's, re- you know, become a better playmaker as well. So, and the fact that, you, look, man, he's won a title and he's clutch as hell, man. That's the thing. Like, him being clutch, it's it's hard because it's not necessarily something that's super tangible. But I'm telling you, from now until the end of his career, Fred VanVleet will always be one of, no matter which team he's on, no matter who's coaching him, that coach is picking Fred VanVleet to be on the floor in those final moments because they know that Fred VanVleet he can be trusted and that Fred VanVleet's willing to take a big shot. So um, maybe it's intangible because we watch Fred a lot more closer than, than DeJounte, but I, I got Fred top 10, which is, again, for a guy who's undrafted, it's yeah. unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, I, I, either way, between the two of us, he's going top 15, right? So Yeah. Yeah. And then Brogdon is interesting, but, I mean... You know, I, I think Brogdon's I think, had... I think Levert is interesting, too. I think because of the injuries, we sort of knock Levert and, mm-hmm. you know, cast him aside. But when we've seen Levert at his best, yeah. like, man, that was a hard player to pass up on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he almost snapped the Raptors' 15-game win streak. Well, I guess he ended up doing it anyway because we ended up losing to the Brooklyn Nets. But the first yeah. time, he would have snapped it earlier. Um, yeah. OG shut him down. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, they had to, though. He had, like, 38 or something. He was he was nasty that game. Um, and then Pat Speaking McC- of Oh, 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 oh we'll, we'll get to OG, but we'll, come on. Don't forget about Pat. 
By the way, I, I looked oh. it up on on Basketball Reference. Uh, Pat McCaw in Basketball Reference they list like every single player's like nicknames and stuff like that. Pat McCaw's nickname. You want to guess what Pat McCaw's nickname is? Uh, three time. No, that's a good guess. Um, yeah, no, hit me, Pat. That's it. <laughs> Yo, that can't be your nickname, man. <laughs> That's like saying my nickname is Will. <laughs> like, yeah, it doesn't. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so Pat McCaw. Um, my only question is, okay, so he goes twenty eighth uh, overall to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, is he still a first round pick? I think he goes higher than twenty eighth. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I know people hate on Pat, on Pat McCaw, but he's actually done useful things for a winning team, which a lot of these players haven't. Yeah, like he's close to the top twenty. Because I'm I'm looking at the players that were available again, uh, you know those other players I mentioned: Jakob Perdo, Divka Zubac, Malik Beasley for Karin Korkmaz, Juan Hernan Gomez, Torian Prince, uh, Chris Dunn. Like, you know, sure you take those guys ahead, mm-hmm. um, but then it's like you start debating. Okay, I think I'd rather have Patrick McCaw than Dragon Bender because he has, he hasn't done anything yet. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you can have the debate with Marquise Chris. Was he in a bad situation? And now is he starting to figure things out uh, yeah. in Golden State? Uh, he's going ahead of Thon Maker. He hasn't. Thon Maker hasn't really done anything to this point. Wait, well, uh, hold so, up. wait, hold on. But uh, Dwayne Casey says Thon Maker is the next uh, Pascal Siakam. What's going on? What <laughs> I, th- I thought he said that about Sekou Dumbuya. He also said that about Bruce Brown, if you believe it or not. Honestly, <laughs> Dwayne Casey just sees Pascal Siakam everywhere. Oh, man. Like Luke Kennard, the next Pascal Siakam. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think... Yeah, I, I think Patrick McCaw is pretty close to the top 20 here, yeah. if not in the top 20. I agree with you, man. I agree with you. So listen, uh, and plus, look, it's just a known fact that Patrick McCaw has never not won an NBA championship. It's just a known fact. All right? So, again, a lot of these... Pat McCaw and LeBron have the same number of rings. I'll just say that much. Um, next one. The 2017 NBA draft. So, OG and Obi, the Raptors pick him 23rd overall. Um, the guys that I have definitively better than OG, at least right now, um, I got Jason Tatum. I got... Uh, uh, you know, Fox, I got uh, Mitchell, I got uh, John Collins, uh, Bam Adebayo, and I put Lonzo on here. I, that, that one might be controversial, but I really, really like Lonzo's game, and I really think that um, he's really had a nice year this year in uh, New Orleans. I mean, he's averaging 12, 6, and 7. He's shooting 38% from three, and he's shooting a lot of threes now, and a lot of them um, off the dribble, too. So I, I've always really liked Lonzo, and I, I really believe in his game, but those are the guys I have clearly ahead of OG, um, but the guys that are probably comparable, uh, there's a debate to be had with Jonathan Isaac, which probably I would take him over OG, but though if you look at his numbers, honestly, very similar. Uh, Laurie Markkinen, definitely better scorer. Derek White, you know, different skill set. Uh, uh, Luke Kennard, obviously next pass, Siakam. Um, Jared Allen, Markel Fultz, you know, even at DeLon Brooks, who's averaging like close to 16 points per game this year, but... Um, for me, honestly, OG went like eighth overall uh, in the redraft in, of 2017. Where, where did OG fall in for you? Yeah, pretty much the same. Like I had the only guys that I had ahead of him were Tatum, uh, Bam Adebayo, Donovan Mitchell, Jonathan Isaac, D. 
De'Aaron Fox, Lonzo Ball, mm-hmm. uh, and John Collins. Okay. And then my debate was more uh, like I had OG pretty much uh, tossed in there with uh, Laurie Markkinen, Thomas Bryant. Um, and then, yeah, then you get into the Derek Whites and the Kyle Kuzmas and Jared Allens and whatnot. So, yeah, I think maybe, you know, if you're a team that has a scoring need, you go with Markkinen and you can't really argue that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's hard to judge any of the young Bulls guys this season just because of how bad a coach uh, Jim Boylan's been for that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, between and, and Thomas Bryant, I think he's really come on these last, you know, okay, yeah, season and a half kind of thing, uh, depending on what you're looking for at center. So I think he's in the mix. Mm-hmm. OG defensively, obviously, he looks like a perennial all-defensive player. Yep. Um, and so it's a question of whether, you know, I don't want to say offense catch up to that level because I, I don't see him getting to be, you know, that that caliber of a player. But as long as he can be, um, you know, a consistent three-point threat, hit, mm. you know, over 35%, 30, you know, 30, if he can hit, you know, 37, 38% from three consistently because um, you're assuming the majority of his shots are coming from the corner. Um, then I think you've really got something. If if he can develop a couple of one-on-one moves, even better. Mm-hmm. Then 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 you know then I think for sure you would say you would take him over marketing. But uh, yeah, I had him eighth overall. Yeah, and look, listen, the the Jonathan Isaac thing. I mean, look, I don't want to like, I don't I don't want to be sound too much like a homer. But when I looked into the numbers, it was actually shockingly close. Like I could see the case for. OG being on his level and maybe even slightly better, um, like like this year Isaac obviously he went down with injury and it's really unfortunate. But you know he was having a breakout year for him: twelve points per game, seven rebounds, one point four assists, uh, one point six steals. The really impressive thing with Isaac he was averaging two point four blocks this year, which is just kind of unheard of. And he's just longer uh, than OG, but OG's number are very similar: like eleven points per game for OG, five point four rebounds. Uh, 1.6 assists, 1.4 steals, doesn't have the 2.4 blocks, and that's a big difference between 0.7 and 2.4. But OG shoots better from, is a better finisher uh, on the from the field. Um, has shot more efficiently from three, although Isaac does a little bit more um, experimenting for a team that uh, doesn't have as many creators as Toronto does. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's shockingly close how close he is to a guy like Isaac, and everyone loves Isaac. You know what I mean? So yeah. OG's, I mean, he's had a really good year, man. I'm really happy for him. And um, yeah, I think it's just aesthetically, like when I look at a guy like Isaac, mm-hmm. and then I look at a guy like OG, I'm like, yeah, Isaac has the higher offensive ceiling for sure. Yeah, I get that. Defensively, you know, you might say they're on the same level, um, but offensively, I think the things Isaac is able to do, um, I think his shooting stroke is a bit more consistent as well. Uh, so I give the edge to Isaac, um, like. I mean, for me right now, if if, they, if, you, if I was given the choice, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident I would take Isaac. Yeah, and look, I, I get that, man. I, I totally get that, uh, and I probably would too. Like, I had Isaac ahead of uh, OG in this case too, but you know, it's just again, just for reference, like it's 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 real close. So, um, yeah, overall the Raptors did pretty good in that draft. Uh, I, I like to remind people um, that guys like CJ Leaf uh, and Terrence Ferguson. Uh, you know, there's there's been a couple of misses. I'm saying that much. I mean, even a guy like I mean, Zach- Josh Jackson right at the top. Yeah, Josh Jackson went fourth overall, man. Like that again. It's Phoenix, and they don't make great decisions. 
even like the New York Knicks picking Frank Natilakina that early, like who knows? But yeah, the only other guy I'd men- mentioned maybe ahead of OG is um, what's his name? Uh, I, I really like what Zach Collins was starting to do, but that's also another guy who's based on potential. Because if you look at the actual numbers, he's like six point six points per game last year, and they got hurt for most of this year, so it's hard to say he's better than OG. But I, I like his potential, but. Yeah, OG's yeah. You know, top 10 pick again for the Raptors, which, again, is incredible value. And then the last guy, we're skipping a couple of guys because, you know, they're just frankly not as interesting to talk about. But uh, the last guy I want to talk about, Terrence Davis. He goes undrafted in the 2019 NBA draft. Uh, in looking back at the redraft, this one's tough because the other ones, you have a huge sample, so you can really go back and evaluate what it is. We're talking about, like, uh, a truncated, you know, three quarters of a rookie season, so it's a little hard, but... For me, at the moment, I got Terrence Davis number nine in this redraft. Um, guys like Zion, uh, John Morant, R.J. Barrett. Um, R.J. Barrett's even debatable, but I, I think Barrett's ahead of him. Uh, you know, you know DeAndre Hunter, uh, you know Darius Garland. Like, there's there's some decent players in this draft, but um, you know, I I think honestly, based on what Terrence has done this year, which is seven point seven points per game for the Raptors, shooting really well from three. Uh, efficient and really, if you look at things like win shares, for example, Terrence Davis is third in this draft class in win shares. So it's interesting. But I got him nine uh, in this draft. Where, where do you have Terrence Davis in the 2019 redraft? Yeah, I have him a little bit lower. Um, so like you, obviously, you know Zion, Morant, Barrett. Um, I have Hachimura moving up in the draft. I have okay. Tyler Harrow moving up. Um, I still think Cam Reddish is going to be a really good player. I know it's been okay. Uh, a slow start for him, but I think he has a really high ceiling. Um, and then I think it gets interesting between like Terrence and, uh, you know, do you want a defensive guy like Matisse Thybul? Cause I think he's had an incredible season defensively yeah. uh, and has shown that he can be a legit part of a playoff rotation. Um, and then I think PJ Washington has had a really nice season with Charlotte. I like him. So, um, and then you mentioned Darius Garland as well. So I think that's where I, I just moved him down a little bit more just because, again, you know, situation matters so much, especially when we're looking at such a small sample size. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how much more would any of these other guys thrive if they were would they they were playing for the Raptors instead? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. So I think from that standpoint, uh, I still kept Terrence uh, down a little. And, and let's face it, he still has a ways to go. Uh, defensively as well, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the biggest, the most encouraging thing that we've seen with him that we didn't know coming in was how good his three-point stroke is. And yeah. uh, I mean, that is such a clean, pure stroke that he has. I mean, up and down every time. Um, I think that's that's the thing, you know, beyond his compete level, his ability to drive, his athleticism, that's the thing that's going to really make him some money. Yeah, for sure. And you pack, you throw in the athleticism uh, and, and the ability to finish in traffic and things like that. I think especially as he gets older and sort of more mature, he's really going to be able to put those physical tools together. And the fact that he has a three-point shot to go along with it, like we're talking about a guy who's 6'5 and can shoot threes and can finish above the rim uh, and he can handle the ball. Like that, that's Those are a lot of great skills. So this is the thing. With, with, with this draft, like it's, it's obviously so recent that – so much of it is based on upside and potential, things like that. And the one thing working against Terrence is that he's older than some of these other guys. Um, he's already 22. Like So, for example, Terrence Davis is older than OJ Anobi. 
just by like uh like you know i mean birthday i guess um yeah so it uh, it's interesting because we're comparing him to guys like zion and jaw who are like 18 and 19 and stuff like that but um yeah i mean i don't know man terrence is also but if you just look at the skill set like would you have rather have a guy like terrence or um you know colby white for example because colby white had some really hot stretches uh you know he could do some things as a gunner but you know, if you look at the physical profile and the skill set, like I, I might rather have Terrence Davis. Like Terrence Davis, I know he has the ability physically to play defense eventually. Whereas with Derek White or with uh, Colby White, he's so frail and things like that that it's it's debatable. Or even a guy like Tyler Hero, who you know again did some really nice things for the Heat this year, but I think in the long run, Terrence Davis has more upside than a guy like Ter- uh, you know Tyler Hero. So you know, it's tough. Also, Eric yeah. Pascal, but that's a great pick for the Warriors. Yeah, Eric Pascal. That's uh, that's another name. Um, you know, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker. I mean, he's a guy that he really had a good summer league and then preseason and then mm-hmm. just fell off. Right. Yeah. So with the regular season, I don't know what happened there. If he got the yips a little bit, who knows? Um, so I think. You, it's it's so early in their careers that you can pretty much debate anyone uh, mm-hmm. and revert back to their potential coming into the draft. Yep. Um, and so I think that's where Terrence Davis. There's arguably, you know, he has the most amb- ambiguity of anyone that we've discussed so far. So yeah, he he could go in the top ten. Um, he could go. You know, you know, I, th- I think we can both agree that he's clearly a first round pick. Yep. He is clearly, you know, most likely a top 20 pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, again, for a guy who went undrafted, um, it speaks volumes of the way the Raptors are able to identify talent. And, you know, I'm just looking back on all the guys that we've discussed. We've had four of the Raptors go um, between the two of us in the top five, mm-hmm. uh, between Kyle, Mark, Serge, and Pascal. Yep. And then we've had another four guys go in the top uh, 12. Right. Between Norm, Fred, OG, and Terrence. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the highest pick between all of these was probably Surge, 24th. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, so, uh, or Kyle, 24th, I guess, as well, so. Yeah, I mean, right. look, it's, it's been an impressive, uh, or I guess OG was 23. Okay, OG so. 23, yeah. But <laughs> I, or I guess, oh, well, Stanley's technically eighth. I mean, we really shouldn't count Stanley, but, um, but yeah, it's just, look, it's, it's a reflection of two things. One, it's a reflection on the Raptors for the fact that they've been able to identify talent, uh, where other people may not have seen it, uh, especially with a guy like Fred Van Vliet, who's gone on draft in 2016, but in our redraft goes top 10, um, and it's too like a credit to the fact that they picked guys who were determined to improve and they didn't let sort of their draft uh, slot sort of determine where they were going to be in terms of their careers. So um, that does for the podcast. I th- I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just really fun to do these redrafts. I think it really, it's, historically, it's been very fun to sort of go back and revisit things. You and I revisited uh, game seven of the 2001 um conference semifinals between the Raptors and the Sixers, the original Game 7, where the shot for the Raptors missed. Um, so you can go back and listen to that. Um, but, yeah. So, you know, that, that does it for the podcast. Vivek, thanks for coming on. Uh, what do you want to plug? See, you got a big uh, Bianca interview. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I talked to Bianca Andrescu um, yesterday. She's 
uh, trying to be a voice in this whole uh, coronavirus pandemic and, you know, encourage people to stay safe, stay inside. Uh, and then just sort of offering up her own advice on how she's trying to stay busy and keep herself occupied and being really productive. I mean, uh, you know, just even outside of an interview standpoint, you know, she's uh, like, you know, almost half my age. And she's telling me about like self-development programs that she signed up for and like setting a schedule for her daily programs. And this is outside of being an athlete, right outside of like her workout schedule and uh, doing whatever she can uh, to be the best tennis player she can be. So um, I think, you know, she's got a head on her shoulder is that's unreal for mm-hmm. someone who's going to be 20 next month. So, uh, yeah, a lot of cool stuff uh, from her mm-hmm. um, and, and her life and uh, just what she's been up to uh, of late. And so, yeah, it was a cool conversation. Just trying to keep busy, man, like everybody else. Yeah, there you go. So uh, where can we find that piece? You can find it at Complex. Uh, that's where most of my content is right now. And you can follow me on Twitter at Vivek M. Jacob where you'll find the link uh, to the story. And yeah, besides that, you'll just find me on podcasts all over the place. Yeah, there you go. So uh, big thanks to Big V. Again, As I, I, I'm going to stand by this take, all right? The number one pick of the ROE, uh, uh, you know, guests. There's, there's definitely a lot of great ones, you know. Uh, big shout out to everyone who helps but let me come on man V's number one guy so uh, that does it for the podcast Uh, again next week there will be another long form episode there will be more classic reaction podcasts Uh, and so continue to listen to the podcast and hopefully they bring you a bit of uh, sanity in this time where everything is shut down despite the fact that it looks gorgeous outside so please stay home please stay physically distanced and um, yeah thanks for listening I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 